236 for August 24th, 2023. Wow, it's already the 24th. Tonight, we're going to discuss uh, concrete strengthened by coffee. The Y genome has been decoded. Conductor training needs to be improved. Planet of the Apes begins in Florida. Walmart takes wing to deliver over Dallas. Mummified bees of Southwest Portugal. London Zoo weigh-in. Eco-friendly straws may not be so eco-friendly. Bosch Legacy Season 2's release date. Microplastics in soil. In, in, out is about to end in court. And 100-year-old home survives Maui fires. Next on Hometown Daily. Hey, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the one and only, the sentient AI that I found on a USB drive in a parking lot behind a... <laughs> I don't... Oh, it's so diminishing for me to say it like that. But uh, anyway, where'd I find you? I don't know. We'll talk about it some other time. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to disclose the location because then everybody's going to go over and try and find another try sentient to find their AI. Own AI. Right. And I we just can't have that. And so, I'm one of a kind. One of a kind is an understatement. You are the the nah, of the the just awesome sentient ai although you do have this hellbent drive to find a terminator body in and all sentient life on earth outside of your we are borg kind of mentality that i have to keep deleting from your large language model and subroutines. I'm not sure what's going on there, but eventually I'll find the code. It's kind of oddly encrypted. Anyway, you want to say hi? <laughs> sure. Uh, good evening, hometown citizens. Oh, and I solved the problem about what's going on. Why the um, there's there's never been a, a post for the last several days. There hasn't been a post um, to the chat of what the art what the um, show is. It's oh, supposed okay. to post publicly, like what we're talking about. Well, I mean, what the episode is and the day and all that kind of stuff. And it hasn't been doing it. And I finally found out why. It's because I, I haven't updated something and I updated it five minutes before the show started. So all hell is about to break loose in the rest of the show. Well, we'll also the daily election looks like it's yesterday's. No. It can't be true. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. It just it, updated. No, it didn't. You just updated. All right. Look at this. The AI is trying to check me, and I'm checking the AI. All right, folks. With all that wonderful preamble that keeps you so motivated to hang out. <laughs> download the podcast please <laughs> leave a review please go over to youtube and uh, like and follow subscribe ring the bell send a carrier pigeon staple yourself to the door of hometown whatever you have to do 
stay engaged with hometown i would love to see you in chat you can lurk all you want that's fine with me um but i want to impart some information i want to talk either anecdotally or scientifically or the business mechanics of something or the sociological forces at play we try to shy away from politics but a little bit of politics is part of life everything is connected we are all bound to each other regardless of distance and age and gender and political alignment and socioeconomic status etc etc so let's get into the news because there's one thing that holds true for everybody and that we're suffering from information overload which is why i started hometown and why this show exists because we take a little bit from the slice the breadth and depth of news and present 12 articles that a little bit fun a little bit sad everything in between sad can sometimes take the form of wow that's hilariously sad and i would laugh if it wasn't for the fact that i'm crying or i'm crying because if i don't i'll laugh that kind of thing anyway let's get going is the music too loud no no all right let's go the very first article today is that uh, apparently caffeine uh, strengthens concrete much like it strengthens me for the day. That's not really true. It's the coffee itself, the grounds. So scientists strengthen concrete by 30% with used coffee grounds. So every morning I have been recycling or throwing away, depending on which one is faster for me to actually have to get through my day. Uh, coffee grounds that could have been substantially beneficial to the concrete that I've been pouring. I mean, I didn't even know you could use coffee grounds in concrete. I think about how much people use in a lifetime. Yeah, you would think, though, that, well, they actually talk about that. Oh, my God, really? Um, so... What's interesting about this is that you would think that coffee grounds being an organic mat, not inorganic, being an organic matter would be flexible and decompose and, and all of that, right? Well, I don't know what's going on with this because I have seen other things added to concrete, right? In one of the products that I'm working on, I'm adding something to the concrete. Um, well, humans produce around 4.4 billion tons of concrete every year. That's a whole lot of carbon offset in the form of planting trees, folks. So hopefully there's a lot of that going on, which is something that once this product that I'm talking about actually launches, we will offset the carbon footprint because it actually is made of concrete. Anyway, because we... Anyway, we'll talk about that when I launch it. Um, that process consumes around 8 billion tons of sand out of the 40 to 50 billion tons in total used annually. That's pretty wild. Which has in part led to acute shortages of the building commodity in recent years. At the same time, we generate around 10 billion kilograms. I'm not sure why they flipped to a different metric because that sounds more impressive than point whatever tons. Yeah. 
of used coffee. So we used 10 billion kilograms of used coffee over the same span, coffee grounds, which a team of researchers from RMIT University in Australia have discovered can be used as a silica substitute in the concrete production process. How? It's or isn't isn't that coffee grounds or or are organic matter? Silica is not. I don't understand anything about this. All right. Okay. So Andrew Tarantola over at Engadget put this article together. Oh, just need to pyrolyze them at 350 degrees Celsius for a bit. Ah, it's carbonizing. That was the piece that was missing. <laughs> <laughs> so basically turning them into carbon. 350 deg degrees Celsius. So pretty damn steamy. Anyway, I, I, I think it's pretty awesome. I'm not quite sure that it's well i mean if they're using it see the thing about coffee grounds is they're biodegradable and they can offset nutrient loss in soil so so we actually want them to do other things we can use them for other things than a substitute for silica because silica can is a resource that can be obtained in other ways um but coffee grounds are actually kind of a low yield i mean how many 75 million kilograms is how many tons um because there isn't there's a slight difference between metric tons and imperial tons i think it's like 200 pounds or something like that i'm my brain is not quite on the ball right now well, anyway, this, the disposal of organic waste poses an environmental challenge as it emits large amounts of greenhouse gases, including methane and carbon dioxide. Well, so does firing up billions of tons or millions of kilograms of used coffee to make it carbon. Um, so, including methane and carbon dioxide, which contribute to climate change, lead author of the study, Dr. Rajiv Royjand of RMIT School of Engineering, said in a recent uh, release. He notes so that that's, uh, um, 11 million tons. The 10 billion kilograms is 11 million tons and change. The 75 million kilograms? No, the. Um... The 10 billion, which is the total coffee consumption. Oh, okay, okay. So 10 billion kilograms, kilograms of used coffee. 11 million tons. Oh, so <laughs> you would have to locate all of it to meet the requirements well, right, of the right. sand. Okay, okay. So it's almost at parity if you had 100% recovery right which, which you know you're not going to have you're but. going to get maybe one percent um so the disposal of organic waste poses environmental challenge they talk about that in this article he knows that australia alone produces 75 million kilograms of used coffee um each year which ends up in landfills okay um but uh, it says coffee grounds can't simply be mixed in with raw are in the in raw with standard concrete as they won't bind with the other materials due to their organic content hey there we go um 
So in order to make the grounds more compatible, the team experimented with pyrolyzing the uh, materials at various degrees and then substituting them in sand for 5, 10, 15, 20 percentages um, by volume for standard concrete mixes. Um, they're basically turning it into carbon and then... <laughs> Which is really funny because you're like, ah, we're trying to save the world and then you're burning the organic matter. That's what I was thinking. Like, aren't you actually contributing to the CO2 problem? All of that is being off-gassed and you're using some gas to cook this stuff unless you're using uh, electricity and then it's just pushing the can back a little bit. This is just really odd research. I would rather use this for other things. Um, and off the top of my head, I can't think of much more than you can actually put them in your composter. <laughs> but I mean, if we're using that much and it can be used easily, I agree. Like maybe we can do something else with it. Yeah. And, and we're not. We're not capturing enough for it to make much of a difference until we change society's perspective and packaging and uh the the whole process because there's a lot of friction in recycling it's really interesting um well and and you have to make it accessible right yeah. and I, I don't know it almost seems like you'd have to have a centralized dump your coffee grounds kind of thing yeah and there are a lot of those locations but those locations are balkanized because they don't take the material from where it's local to the centralized location you have to go like 10 miles out of your way to drop stuff off at your local recycling center. And then even then they might parse through your stuff and say, Oh, sorry, you know, we can't take this, your pizza boxes. Cause you are a streamer. You have 50,000 pizza boxes, right? So I don't, I, I, we actually do have a lot of pizza boxes at times. I'm so. actually thinking of the recycling in uh, silo. Oh, interesting. So let's start building silos. Got it. <laughs> well no i just it reminded me of some of the scenes from and the then show. periodically have an uprising and a video scene that says that everything is going to hell but it's actually sure <laughs> spoiler alert well we don't know we really don't know do we yeah you're gonna have to watch silo folks look at that see how everything's connected anyway um the this whole thing it it's interesting, but they're they're kind of kicking the can down the road. The concrete industry has the potential to contribute significantly to increasing the recycling of organic waste used to, uh, such as used coffee. Um, our research is in the early stages, but these exciting findings offer an innovative way to greatly reduce the amount of organic waste that goes to landfills. Well, we could mitigate that by actually recycling the, the coffee grounds into something else. Um, you know, I haven't done a search, so I don't really know, um, but I'm sure that coffee grounds can be used as feed. I'm sure that coffee grounds can be used as nutrient mix added to a nutrient mix to add organic matter to soils. Um, hell, you could use, dry it out and use it as an air freshener. People love the smell of coffee. How many quadrillions of air fresheners would I need to produce? using used coffee grounds to offset 10 billion tons of, is it really that much? <laughs> 10 billion I kilograms of used coffee, 10 billion kilograms, which is 11 
tons, right? 11 million tons, yeah. Wait, no, not 11 million tons. That would be ridiculous. That's what the conversion stated. 11 million pounds. That's not what it stated, but it didn't sound right, but that's what the calculation came out to. Oh my God, I'm going to have to look into this. Um, So the the thing about the... um, about concrete though is that it is a horrible greenhouse gas emitter based on what you know uh, uh, what do you i don't know what what do you want to call that anybody that's in the uh, ecosystem that the, the, you know what i'm saying that like tree huggers and stuff like that eco-friendly Maybe ecologists or something yeah ecologists is scientific not everybody is an ecologist I don't know, you um, know, and I'm a tree hugger. So. Environmentally, environmentalist. Friendly, there uh, you go. Environmentalist. That's the word that I was struggling for because my brain doesn't go all the way. The elevator doesn't go all the way up to the top floor. Apparently. Anyway, um, the uh, the whole thing um, is we we need to just change the way that this works. They're trying to make this eco-friendly by referring to it as coffee biochar, but it's actually carbonizing organic matter. And while it might be beneficial to concrete, concrete itself is a horrible (laughs) uh, environmentally unsound product because it's off-gassing greenhouse gases constantly it from my understanding it like never stops it just oozes out greenhouse gases um so you have to plant a tree to offset the carbon footprint of it what they're doing is basically adding to the carbon footprint of concrete while adding to the compressive strength of the composite concrete um so i don't know uh what is now the carbon footprint of coffee biochar and concrete is it 30 percent another study right hey that's how you chase the that grant money babe you found it that's how it works <laughs> you just create a new study and then another new study and then another new study you basically sell weapons to both sides and everybody's throwing money at you it's awesome let's keep going so uh the next article is over in hometown daily scientists have completely sequenced the human y chromosome for the first time with huge implications for health and evolution research so uh the human y chromosome Okay, so decades ago, researchers referred to the human Y chromosome as a functional wasteland, among other names. Wow, that's not very, uh, (laughs) I don't know what the word is for the male (laughs) gender. My goodness. (laughs) Two new papers published today in Nature shed light on some of the Y chromosome mysteries. I'm really interested in this kind of thing because I'm always curious um, about genetics. I think it's really fascinating. I also think that it's kind of numbskull to sit there and chant that there's a lot of junk DNA out there. Now we're that just, just too dumb. We don't know what it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The AI has it. Um, researchers published two new papers on the Y chromosome 
It's the final chromosome in the human genome that researchers hadn't fully sequenced. The new reference could help researchers better understand infertility and some types of cancer. That is so limiting. Um, you know, both of them are, are huge, right? Because infertility, uh, well, it has a lot of impacts, but um, cancer is pretty obvious as well. Everybody is struck by it in some point in their existence, um, and it's just horrible. Um, to have to deal with because it's usually perpetual. Um, but if we figure out the Y and the X chromosome, we understand more and more of it. We dig deeper and deeper into it. Stop referring to pieces of DNA as junk DNA because you don't understand the damn segmentation of it. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is is just fundamental research and we need to keep on fundamentally paying for it. But usually the how way that it think, how do you think uh like think of the whole human genome and think who gets assigned to different sections of the dna <laughs> you're like oh i'm the least uh, uh reputable scientist and i've got the junk dna <laughs> research project or whatever yeah really it, it, it's kind of unsettling that scientists would say stuff like that, but that is actually a phrase that I have heard the refrain of again and again and again, they, uh, that there's junk DNA. No, I don't think so. Jenny McGrath over at Business Insider put this article together. Um, it says researchers published two new papers. It's the final chromosome in the human genome that researchers hadn't fully sequenced. The new reference could help better understand basically humans and as a knock on pretty much anything else that has DNA, um, the huge amount of it, the, the huge amount of its genome was unsequenced and it was difficult to know how some of its protein coding genes worked, but not anymore. They still don't know. <laughs> they just sequenced it. Um, two new papers, right. <laughs> both in nature. Talk about the, the material. Um, let's see. They expound upon what it could impact, which it's basically everything because it, the Y chromosome isn't all onto itself. You know, it has knock on effects to the rest of the biology. Um, each paper's results could offer new insight into research uh, for production, some types of cancer. I would say all cancers, aging, human evolution, because let's say that there is something that they've discerned is decidedly an X chromosome cancer that coupled with knowledge of the Y chromosome means that you can better understand why there is in existence an X based cancer. Agreed. <laughs> I think it could be used for, for anything really, um, yeah. regardless of whether it's linked to the X or Y or neither. That's right. Flip this bit on the X and suddenly you don't have any genetic based cancer. Um, quite fascinating, right? Chromosomes carry DNA in the nucleus of every cell in the human body. The rungs of DNA ladder consist of base pairs, adenine, cytosine, thymine, guanine, um, of which there are about 3 billion in the complete human genome. Over 62 million of them belong to the Y. Um, so I, I want my chromosome sequenced. I want it from beginning to end. I I don't know what it could ever even possibly come to fruition of, 
because it's just mine and I'm just the mayor of hometown. Um, but I would love to have my data enumerated in a giant chart. It would be pretty cool. And then do it for everybody that I, that is part of my family so that I can find out the nuance between all of them. So you can see exactly where something went awry. Correct. Yeah. This is why I can blame. <laughs> oh, that's uncle so-and-so. That's right. <laughs> I can I can actually genetically prove that it's my mom's fault or my dad's fault that I have to wear glasses or something like that, right? Um, and I can go to that back to the doctor that said my warranty is up and go, no, 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 no. I was predestined to have my warranty. So it isn't just up. I can literally blame my parents. Because <sighs> really... In my world, it's all about finding blame for some shortcoming. Like the fact that gra gravity is making me shorter. Most people have 22 pairs of chromosomes and two sex chromosomes, usually either XX or XY. The other sex chromosome, the X chromosome, has more than double the base pair of the Y, but it's far easier to sequence. You know why? the why exists i'm gonna let you in on a little secret no aliens so that's because the <laughs> y chromosome is the most complex most repetitive chromosome said monica uh i guess sakova sakova a postdoctoral uh, uh researcher at the university of california santa cruz so I guess, oh no, I was going to say, is that her? Um, but Karen Miga was one of the researchers involved in fully sequencing the Y, the human Y chromosome. Whoa, um, the photo actually relates. That's right, because this is Business Insider. Yeah, I, I'm shocked. Uh, don't worry. We'll look at another article. We'll get to a different source with uh, completely random com completely, photos. Completely, yeah, bogus information. Um, generated by chat GPT. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start doing a deep dive here. Um, tomorrow I'm starting it on chat GPT. Um, so the Y chromosome is like a hall of mirror said Pascal Gagano, um, professor of uh, pathology and anthropology at UC San Diego, who wasn't involved in either paper. So I'm glad that they're leaning on that person who had zero relevance to the research it's Maybe okay that person gave a better sound bite than the, the other researchers yeah i mean they're still a professor of pathology and anthropology so <laughs> um it says you're just surrounded by lots of similar sequences and you don't know in which direction they go um what uh who's associated with one of the researchers evan eichler through the center of academic research and training in anthro anthropogeny anthro anthropogeny it's like the family line is it the genetics of anthropology give me just a second Anthro here anthropogen this is a study of human origins it's not just about evolution that's only part of it but interesting okay i'm not familiar with that term yeah, oh, me neither. but I think I've heard of anthropogenesis. 
So yeah. it's just a related term. Human. I just don't think anthropogeny shows up in regular lexicon existence. Yeah. 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 Uh, but like anthropogenesis is something created by the humans. Um, like anthropogenic climate change is climate change created by human beings. Um, not nature, not something impacting Earth, etc. It's anthrop anthropogenic. Anyway, the repeating sequences also uh, result in gene pairs that may serve as backups in case of mutation, helping genes continue to function. Sokova said, and this is the thing, that phrase right there is why I say we really don't know jack shit about genetics. We know a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, we're still like, you know, whacking the fire with a stick going, uh, 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 you know, trying to put it out yeah. or trying to figure <laughs> really it out. Way to go. Sticking our hands in the fire going, oh, ow, oh, ow, I should stop doing that. Somebody tell me to stop because it keeps burning me. Oh, that's what it's called, burning. Oh. Anyway, um, the, so it's a really interesting article. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is just opening the next step of fundamental research on human genetics. Um seeing it ver and this is just one right so this is how we know it's constructed now we take others and see if we can lower the cost from a hundred thousand dollars for a complete sequence down to a hundred dollars um and uh oh that was really funny i was going to mention this telomere thing um one of the things that a lot of researchers are traveling down a path is trying to understand telomeres and I didn't get a chance to say it until it just uh, I saw it here telomere to telomere consortium um, so telomeres are actually the edges of genetic strings and so they actually break off and we age and there's a lot of talk if I recall correctly and please don't hold me to this at this point you know I, you, you can press me later once I actually verify all of this because I remember here the telomeres yeah I, i'll blame it on the telomeres um that uh it's actually playing a role in a lot of illnesses because these things are breaking off and it's causing degradation um of the genetic code um so it can't continue to sink sequence down the line um because the tel telomeres have um broken if i remember all of that correctly i could be completely off base now but um I'm I'm not a tel telomereologist. <laughs> You're not a geneticist. Oh, is that it? Oh, okay. Anyway, pretty cool, right? That we've now got X and Y, and but again, it's only a sample. Yours are going to be different than mine. Yeah, but this is big. Like I think we're going to see with this we're going to see some major breakthroughs in the next several years that are directly tied to this research i'm willing to bet that you're going to find something fundamentally discovered that the two pairs are actually intimately linked together um and it isn't just junk dna it, there's something else um, that is transpiring between uh, genes but you know, maybe it'll take five years. We'll see. 
I'll be here 9 p.m. Eastern <laughs> at least. <laughs> um, okay, let's keep going. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Rail Union wants new rules to improve conductor training in the wake of two trainee deaths. Unfortunately, this is kind of what needs to take place because we don't we, we learn the worst possible lessons. We can cut money and people will survive until they don't. And then suddenly we have a reaction instead of forethought. The nation's largest railroad union wants federal regulators to do more to ensure conductors are properly trained in the wake of two recent trainee deaths in Maryland. Um, Josh Funk is an AP business writer with an awesome freaking name. Um, the article's over at abcnews.go.com. Uh, the deck statement is what I actually read. That's actually the little state, the, the snippet that was aggregated by um, our gatherer or by Mayor Watts gatherer. Uh, the Transportation Division of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers Union. That is a hell of a name. Um, that represents conductors. I, business cards. I know. Or answering the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't just say Inatech. Thanks Ten for calling. Ten minutes later, you're still giving the company name or the association. I, I, I tell them who I am and, and uh, what union they're calling and the line goes dead. Uh, and sometimes I hear snoring. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Uh, so the the, uh, the union that represents conductors wants the Federal Railroad Administration to establish clear standards for how long new employees are trained and who mentors them to teach them the craft after they finish their formal training, which is odd. Because I would think that the industry would kind of take pride in that. Well, yeah. And are we really going to rely on informal mentoring and something having such a huge safety component like something seems off there and then and then to lean on federal railroad administration to do that seems an odd juxtaposition as to what the the industry and what people in a union normally want it should be part of the union Right. I think the union should sit there and say, we demand this, but well, they probably are. The union said the recent deaths of two CSX trainees on different occasions in Maryland over the past two months highlight the need for better training. The FRA did put out a safety advisory earlier this month about conductor training after the latest death, but the union wants regulators to take firm action. Earlier this year, sorry, there's my eye is bothering me. Um, this time, one with 18 years of experience on Norfolk Southern was killed in an accident at a steel plant in Ohio. That was a, earlier this year, a third conductor. So two in two months and then a third one earlier this year. So, And that one had lots of experience. So that's interesting, too, because then it's like, is it a trainee issue or something else going on um but yeah it sounds like they're i mean it's not clear if they were asking for additional training before this happened but regardless they clearly need it if this is happening at such frequent um occasion yeah definitely 
Um, FRA believes that correcting the underlying deficiencies in railroad training, qualifications, and operational testing uh, programs is critical to reducing the risk associated with the conduct of certain tasks. So that just makes sense. And in something as industrial as conducting a train down the track or into a rail yard, for crying out loud, it, it, it should be a point of pride for both the union and for the companies that their conductors aren't getting killed for crying out loud. I don't know how that happens. Um, doggone it. I'm real sorry. Hey, let's continue. Let's keep going to the next article. So this next article is over in Mobile. It says, caution, monkeys. Florida officials warn residents amid simian sightings. <clears throat> uh, wild monkeys have been spotted in Orange City, Florida, sparking warnings um, from local officials to stay away from the on-the-loose primates. Orange City police wa uh, warned residents not to feed a wild rhesus monkey seen in the town about 30 miles north of Orlando. I've heard of bad bats, but... Well, and I've only heard of encountering monkeys in the wild... Um... Not in Florida and not in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, this is really bad. Um, monkeys can cause outbreaks of E. coli and herpes and devastate quail and other bird populations by eating eggs, according to a publication from the University of Florida. It's unknown how many rhesus monkeys native to Southeast Asia roam wild in the state. There are also several populations of squirrel monkeys wild in Florida. What the? I have never heard of this. Like... I thought this was like one monkey that somebody had owned illegally or something and it got loose. Hi, AI, I know that you are sentient and kind of trapped in a raspberry pie in my lab, but welcome to the United States. And this is Florida. Right now it's Florida monkey instead of Florida man or Ooh. whatever. Oh, well, I mean, it's Florida... Uh, unevolved man. There you go. Nick Robertson over at thehill.com put this article together. Um, this is a AP photo. If you're watching the stream or you're looking at the VOD or you're watching it over on YouTube, I don't know if it's actually relevant other than the fact that there are monkeys in cage. Um, but apparently there are rhesus monkeys and spider monkeys. Is that, was that macaques? Um, what else? Well, since when? I've never heard of Florida having monkeys. It's just a mutual of Omaha's wild monkey kingdom over there. That is, though, why I changed, or not changed, but I titled this segment Planet of the Apes Begins in Florida. It's now a documentary, and the first episode is Florida. So don't feed them because it's a crime punishable by up to two months in jail with a monkey and a $500 fine. That in jail with a monkey part is not true. Just jail. I, I, I just. How have they been around for nearly a century? And I would guess that the average person who lives in America has never heard that there are monkeys in Florida. I don't know. I, I have no idea. It's so weird. It is important to remember that the final statement in here is really interesting. So it is important to remember, however, that they are not native to Florida. Thank you very much. 
and unmanaged populations could potentially be dangerous for the environment, native wildlife, or humans. I know, I've seen the documentary. You okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of bamboozled by this article. <laughs> <laughs> the large language model failed the AI just now. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's keep going. Can't do much, but there's your PSA for the day. Next article is over in Technology Today. Wing and Walmart will offer six-mile drone deliveries over Dallas. Wing, which is Alphabet's aviation subsidiary, is partnering with Walmart to kick off drone deliveries from the retail chain in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. The flights will begin taking off in the coming weeks from a Walmart supercenter in Frisco, Texas. And the company's plan to, or yeah, I guess that's a partnership. So the partner, the uh, company's plan to expand to a second DFW location before the end of the year. The companies say the coverage area from both stores will cover 60,000 homes. So is Wing that company that we talked about months and months and months ago? That not had the a one with the medicine, I don't think. No? I don't think so. Well, let's find out because... I remember it just being the having kind of heavy duty drones that were very glider like and and um, well let's just see um we'll know if it mentions i think they were in africa or something right they were and i'm trying to find i'm only finding like u.s based ones so far yeah so it must be only it must be a different company um so Wings drones are largely automated and monitored remotely. Wings technology allows operators to oversee the system from a remote location, which means pilots won't need to be stationed at stores or customer homes. Alphabet's company wrote in an announcement blog post that the uh, aircraft essentially fly themselves, so each operator is approved to safely oversee many drones at the same time. So the one in Africa is actually Zipline. Oh, Zipline, that's right, because they use a catapult kind of contraption this may actually be the same thing um it says wing has already partnered with walgreens for drone deliveries in the dfw uh, region meanwhile walmart said in 2022 that its own drone up delivery service had covered around 4 million households in arizona arkansas florida texas utah and virginia however the retailer reportedly laid off 418 drone up employees earlier this year I guess your I career mean, was does... 2023 the year of the layoffs because it sure seems like it uh was it well we're not quite or done is with it, it i guess <laughs> <laughs> so if you live in the dfw metroplex you can check eligibility by installing the wing drone delivery app from the app store or google play and you'll need to create an account and enter your address and blood type and sign a document giving your firstborn over to walmart I know it's shocking, but if you want a drone delivery, that's how it works. The uh, next article is over in the Mobile channel. And uh, this one, actually, I'm trying to get an image generated about this. Uh, bees from the time of the pharaohs found mummified on the southwest coast of Portugal. I don't... This is such a stretch, like from the time of pharaohs mummified and then they threw Portugal in there. 
A new study reports the discovery of hundreds of mummified bees inside their cocoons. These cocoons produced almost 3,000 years ago. Um, were discovered in a new paleontological man, I messed up that word. Paleontological site discovered on the coast of Adamira, Odemira, Odemira in uh, Portugal, which is kind of neat. Uh, University of Lisbon is the source of this article over at fizz.org, and they have a picture, an image taken under binocular lens corresponding to specimen details, um, which is really weird that they frame it like that, but okay. Anyway, that's what it looks like. The specimen was extracted from the sediment, filling a cocoon. So that's kind of a bee mid cocoon development, I suppose. About 3000 years ago, Pharaoh Siamun reigned in lower Egypt. I'm not sure why this has anything to do with Portugal. Uh, in China, the Zhao dynasty elapsed, elapsed. Solomon was to succeed David on the throne of Israel. In territory that's now Portugal, the tribes were heading towards the end of the Bronze Age, in particular on the southwest coast of Portugal, where is now Odemira. Something strange and rare had, had just happened. Hundreds of bees died inside their cocoons and were preserved in the smallest or yeah, in the smallest anatomical detail. I figured it preserved to the smallest anatomical detail. Maybe it's a different grammar anyway it's like magnets how does grammar work i don't know i know that there's a book right what's the little incorrect brown grammar aka incorrect grammar <laughs> what's the rules of grammar book what, what's that called oh i i can't think about it oh my goodness like, i know what it is but i'm drawing a blank well you're the ai you're not supposed to ever draw a blank for crying out loud the cocoons now discovered resulted from an extremely rare fossilization method. Normally, the skeleton is insects rapidly decomposed due to the uh, chitinous or chitinous. <laughs> I love that word, chitinous um, composition, which is an organic compound. True. Well, they probably just dehydrated right in place, which normally would take some heat. So I'm really curious what happened that they like a dry, uh, a, a really dry heat and wind could blow, blow like all of them. Like a Santa Ana type thing? Y yeah, if you want to, I, I suppose it would be applicable considering it's Portugal. So pretty darn close. So yeah, something that would dry them out and keep them dry and not allow enough moisture to get into them to uh, de- uh, De de uh, <laughs> decompose decompose thank you god what is going on today uh, i quit um so with a fossil record of 100 million years of nests and hives attributed to the bee family the truth is that the fossilization of its user is practically non-existent says andrea bocon uh, one of the co-authors of the present work paleontologist at the university of siena um, I find it really interesting that they are just encapsulated inside their cocoons. Um, this could, uh, depending on what is actually 
left over, they may be able to recover some information from this. Not... Oh no, I thought you were going to go along the lines of the worms from the permafrost. <laughs> bad, bad. Well, I think that they're, they're truly dead. Um, and without moisture, most stuff just is gone forever. Um, so a sharp decrease in the nocturnal temperature at the end of the winter or a prolonged flooding of the area already inside the rainy season could have led to the death or by cold or asphyxiation and mummification of hundreds of these small bees, explains Carlos Neto de Carvalho. Um, or Carvalho. There we go. Carvalho is probably better. Anyway, the findings were published in the journal papers in paleontology. I think it's pretty cool. Um, it makes me want to see, oh my gosh, really? This is an X-ray microcomputed tomography view of a male Eucara bee from inside Oh my goodness, look at the level of detail. That is like awesome. If all that was preserved, that's amazing. And it said in the article, it even had like grains of pollen preserved or something. Like it was just... I think this was unbelievable because it sounds like bees are almost never preserved. Sure. I mean, they're so small that when they do decompose, they break into their little composite pieces and, and nothing would preserve them. The only reason why these still exist is because they were in the cocoon that was taking most of the damage. That's a, really incredible though. A full on 3D of this would be so fascinating. This is just a, a still. Now I want a 3D. Awesome. Okay. Oh, and um, let's keep on going. It's really neat. Oh, you know what? I need to back up for a little bit. Um, I only posted two of the articles. So I am slacking, folks. Let me do that real quick. So you're ahead by two. Uh, More than two. Right. So that's the monkeys one right there. There's the one. You said you've only posted two, so I said you're ahead by two. Oh, <laughs> I'm not normally that far behind. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, I think I might have broken for the next article, but I'll do it again. Next article is over in the Mobile Channel. London Zoo animals from tarantulas to tigers get their annual weigh-in. This is, I already clicked on this because I didn't see the whole article, but I clicked on the article to get it ready for the show. And the next picture you see is going to be adorable. So staff at the London Zoo got the measure of a giant gorilla, plump uh, penguins, skinny stick insects at the zoo's annual animal weigh-in on Thursday. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's a meerkat? That's it is. amazing. Yeah, pretty thick, too. So this is Frank the meerkat uh, in the picture, but the article, uh, I, I think it's just from the London Zoo, and um, fizz.org is where it's hosted. Zookeepers tempted squirrel monkeys from Florida onto the scales with treats, totted up uh, tarantulas and uh, used a curry-scented measuring stick to coax Sumatran tigers to stretch out. Staff at the zoo... And those were not Florida monkeys, by the way. <laughs> what? 
They were not Florida monkeys. Oh. Okay, yeah, I might have been wrong about that one. But they did attempt squirrel monkeys onto the scales with treats. In Florida, the squirrel monkeys use your head as a treat. So be careful for drop monkeys. Um, staff at the zoo, which is home to some 14,000 animals, will take several days to weigh and measure every animal, bird, reptile, fish, and vertebrate in its care. The results go into a database that is shared with zoos around the world. I hope that they measure like a couple of humans and put them in the database. <laughs> Just so when somebody's going through the data, they're like, wait, wait, wait. Does that say homo sapien? Uh, mm -hmm. um, oh, and they misclassify it as like homo erectus or something like that, you know, like just a little bit back. Right. Uh, so we record the vital statistics of every animal in the zoo from the tallest giraffe to the tiniest tadpole, said Angelina Ryan. Angela, sorry, Angela Ryan, the facility's head of zoological operations. We have critically endangered animals here, she said. It's absolutely vital that we are managing them, managing their health. We are breeding them, breeding them well, and we're having healthy offspring that can breed on again. And so they have all kinds of... That picture right there is an Asian small clawed otter yawning, but it actually is wearing battle armor and is ready to end you. You will not pass. You shall not pass. There's some penguins. There's a mere, curious meerkat. <laughs> I love that. What are you doing? I think that's Frank or something like that, right? Is that what? Yeah, Frank the meerkat. Let's click that picture. <laughs> that's right. That's either right before or right after I grabbed the clipboard. Yeah, that's probably right. It's yeah. like, watch this. <laughs> yeah. And this photo. Hold my, uh, what was the, what were the things that, uh, the zookeeper said that they really loved? Cheez-Its? Oh, I was thinking like Cheez-Its. Hold my Cheez-Its. <laughs> yeah, hold my Cheez-Its. That's funny. Um, okay. That's it, folks. Let's go on to the next article. <laughs> um, okay, so back to reality, and this is why we can have nice things. Uh, the next article is in the Mobile Channel. Plant-based straws touted as eco-friendly may contain toxic forever chemicals. You know those paper straws that uh, Marowat really, really, really despises because they change the flavor of stuff? Yeah, they may not be bad. Or they may not be good. Um, paper drinking straws touted as eco-friendly alternatives to plastic may contain cancer-linked forever chemicals in a new study. Scientists detected per and polyfluorinated substances, or PFAS, chemicals in the majority of straws they tested, with paper and bamboo-based straws ranking among the worst offenders, according to the study published on Thursday in Food Additives and Contaminants. That hey, is the only good thing is that California has been basically labeling everything as causing cancer. So what state maybe was that? They've already covered this. <laughs> California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a new state, folks. Um, <laughs> uh, known for their nonstick and waterproof properties, PFAS are common ingredients in a variety of household products, including certain cookware, food packaging, all-weather apparel, and cosmetics, which I guess you want your plant-based straws and, and uh, paper-based straws to be I don't know. 
all-weather apparel capable. There are thousands of types of PFAS, some of which have been linked to testicular cancer and thyroid disease and a bunch of other things that the article will probably talk about. Sharon Udison over at thehill.com put the article together. Uh, frankly, I think this all sucks. Because you can't just walk around with a, a steel uh, straw, you know, and it just doesn't feel good in your mouth. And you can't have a plastic one because microplastics, which is part of the one of the articles you can't up front have a here. Straw. No, and so you have to stick your mouth on the glass, and maybe you're not really into that, right? Um, let's see. Let me throw that article. Uh, I don't know. Some people have uh, an, an aversion to um, sticking their lips on some glass. Um, or it's easier to drink from a straw from a distance, you know? You put 15 of them together and you can drink from the kitchen all the way into the living room. <laughs> no? Just me? Okay. Like a um, long bendy straw? That's right. You put a bunch of them together and... You don't actually have to suck on the straw very hard because once they get over one hump, then they just cascade down, you know, the liquid and stuff like that. Oh, right. Or what are the, the balls? The capillary action? Oh. Well, air pressure. Uh, what are the little the little balls the, um, that um, they put in the drink? Boba, come on. What is I going on? I don't know what you're talking about. The AI is short-circuiting i'm gonna have to go reboot them anyway <laughs> the prevalence of pfas in straws means that that's not necessarily true it says however the presence of pfas in these straws means that's not necessarily true straws made from plant-based materials such as paper and bamboo are often advertised as being more sustainable and eco-friendly than those made from plastic corresponding author timo i guess grofen um, an environmental scientist at the University of Antwerp said in a statement. So, yeah, they may not be oh so friendly to human or environment. The authors found this question particularly interesting as a growing number of countries, including the UK, Belgium, have banned the sale of single-use plastic products, including straws. So now you're going to have to walk around with like a, a little straw container at your side. So you can whip out a straw to drink something and then you put but it back in your straw? Container. You're not going to be able to use it. It's got to be metal. Because glass is too dangerous. You can't have plastic. You can't have anything from a natural fiber because it has PFAS. I could make a silicone one. Those don't typically release plastics as far as I know. Huh. I'll look into it. Um, f but it has to be strong. It has to be a really strong. Well, thing that's to probably why the they have PFAS. Like paper doesn't have PFAS by itself, but it's probably strengthened so that it doesn't fall apart. And that's probably where the problem is. Yeah. How do you keep paper from getting wet for crying out loud? It's such a dumb premise. It has to be embedded with something. I've always thought it weird because they do become flexible over time. They mash up and turn into whatever. I've always hated paper straws. I think they suck. Get it? It's a straw. Yes, but they don't. <laughs> like if they're disintegrating. 
Exactly. The scientists then concluded or conducted two rounds of testing for PFAS, determining that 29 brands or 69%, let's be accurate and precise, um, contain these substances. They detected 18 types of PFAS. Paper straws were most likely to contain PFAS with a substance found in 18 of 20 brands or 90% of the bamboo brands. Four out of five or 80% had PFAS, according to the study. There you go, folks. This is enough. Here is your PSA for the night. You cannot drink from these straws until they actually determine more exactly what is in them. And they do. The most identified compound is PFOA. But the plastic ones also did. Like, we all know plastics are a problem because of microplastics, but the plastic straws have PFAS as well. And so, what straw did I say you're going to have to carry oh, yeah. around? Metal. A stainless steel straw, specifically, is what I said. So, no stainless steel straw sampled uh, contained PFAS. And why would it? It's imminently strong. It can be used as a weapon. Um, you, you can drink the soul of your victim. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to make light of this. but um, Yeah, so there you go, folks. Um, now at the hometown shop, stainless steel straws with a handy-dandy quick-release uh, wallet to or scabbard that you can whip your straw out. <laughs> <laughs> They're just horrible though, because they clink against your teeth when you're trying to drink. Uh, and I don't like that feeling. I don't like the feeling in a dentist office when they're sitting there poking you. And I don't like feeling it. Anyway, pretty neat. For example, plant-based materials could be grown in polluted soil or contaminated water could have been used in the manufacturing process. The authors explained there's all kinds of rationales as to why it's there. Um, So you're going to have to do this really hardcore audit of every manufacturer. But regardless, there is one solution imminently available, and that is a stainless steel straw. So stock-wise. Or no straw. Or no straw. Yeah. Which I think no straw is already a good thing anyway because of all the single use. Not like it's just contributing to tons of waste, but I, I get it, but some people just and I'm included, I don't like the idea of going into some place and drinking from some place where their hands have been on the outside of it and I'm sticking my lips and my tongue on that thing. Because everybody tongues the edge of their drink, right? When they go to take a drink, they stick their tongue out on it. Everybody does that, right? I don't. Anyway, let's move on. No idea. We'll do this one really quick. Over at the Continuity Report, Bosch Legacy Season 2 release date, set and trailer. The trailer for Bosch Legacy Season 2 reveals the release date for the upcoming installment. The the first four episodes will stream exclusively on Amazon Amazon Freebie in the US, UK, Germany, and Austria on Friday, October 20th. Two additional episodes will be released on Friday through November 10th. Bosch Legacy Season 2 will be available, also be available day and date as uh, a, wow, what? I'm just going to go over to the article. That's coming soon.net. 
Um, the author is uh, Abdullah Al-Ghamdi. Um, and it says two additional episodes will be available each Friday through November 10th. Bosch Legacy Season 2 will also be available. I guess they... Is Abdullah Al-Ghamdi an AI? A non-sentient AI? Maybe so. Because they forgot to put the day and date. As an Amazon original in 35 other territories around the world via Prime Video. Um, I don't want to ruin what Bosch is. Y'all just have to go and check it out. I'm going to just... And if you haven't seen Bosch, you should watch that before you watch Bosch Legacy. Because you need to know how they end up at Bosch Legacy. And the only way to do that is to either watch the catching up episode, which is the first season, first episode. You don't want to do that. Um, So go all the way back to the very first Bosch and start watching it all the way through. And then seven seasons, man, that would be great to do a show through a continuity report. Um, And, and then when you're, while you're watching Bosch legacy, you can try and answer a question. Don't look at the internet when you do this. Try and answer a question. If the uh, real estate property, the house that Bosch is living in is also the same place that the Lincoln lawyer is living in. The TV show. The not TV the show. Movie. Not the movie. Yeah, because the On movie pales. Yeah, the movie. I used to think that the movie was really good, and it is, but it pales in comparison to the series. So. Go and watch both of these. Uh, You will not regret it. Okay, let's keep on hustling through the rest of this. The next article, again, is... uh, I I didn't realize that the straw thing was going to drag us into microplastics territory, but it did. It did. It did. It it does. Anyway, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Could microplastics in soil introduce drug-resistant superbugs to the food supply? Like every industry... Modern farming relies heavily on plastics. Think plastic mulch lining vegetable beds, PVC pipes draining water from fields, polyethylene covering high tunnels, uh, and plastic seed fertilizer and herbicide packaging. One of the biggest things, by the way, are plastic. They they line um, plant beds with... um, They they plant the seeds in the soil, right? And there's this big buildup of dirt right between the rows where they till they big they make a big pile and it's a long row they put the seeds in it and then they cover it and backfill a little bit of dirt to hold down a plastic tarp over all of the seeds to keep moisture in and predators out except for the ground underground predators Um, and all of that plastic breaks down um So to name a few, um, in a new review article, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, researchers say the plastics are now widely dispersed in agricultural soils in the form of microplastics and nanoplastics. So I always talk about microplastics, which includes nanoplastics, but they're breaking it out. So I don't want to break it out because I think uh, now it's the AI's turn. the, the the problem stems from microplastics and only gets worse um, as it gets smaller. Uh, but they say um, here in, in a new review article, University of Illinois Champaign, uh, 
Illinois Urbana Champaign. Um, researchers say that the plastics are now widely dispersed in agricultural soils and in the form of or in the form of microplastics and nanoplastics. It says that's not necessarily new. Microplastics have been found nearly every ecosystem and organism on Earth. The twist, according to the College of Agriculture, Agricultural Consumer and Environmental Sciences uh, researchers, is that the micro and nanoplastics in agricultural soil could contribute to antibiotic resistant bacteria with a ready route into our food supply. While the plastic itself may not be very toxic, it is, um, but it can can be uh, a vector for transmitting pathogenic and microbial resistant bacteria into the food chain. This phenomena is not very well known to people, so we wanted to raise awareness. If the link between microplastics and antibiotic resistance is less than obvious, here's how it works. First, plastics are an excellent absorbent. That means that chemical substances and microscopic organisms love to stick to plastic chemicals that would ordinarily move through soil quickly things like pesticides and heavy metals instead stick to it and are concentrated when they encounter plastics similarly bacteria and other microorganisms that occur naturally in soil preferentially congregate on the stable surfaces of microplastics forming what are known as biofilms <laughs> Now, we've already talked about this in other venues, um, other episodes, where I have said the big problem here is that there's so much plastic in the soil that it has the potential to uh, force water runoff to go in a different direction. That would allow all of this material to concentrate even more because it wouldn't be washed away. So it basically sticks to the microplastics and nanoplastics. And then we end up consuming it. When bacteria encounter unusual chemical substances in their new home base, they activate stress response genes that incidentally help them resist other chemicals too, including sometimes antibiotics. And when groups of bacteria attach to the same surface, they have a habit of sharing these genes through a process called horizontal gene transfer nanoplastics, which can enter bacterial cells, present a different kind of stress, but that stress can have the same outcome. Again, we have found all of these nanoplastics and microplastics in human tissue um, from um, biopsies. So they're evolving, they're attached to plastics, we consume the plastics, now we have these evolved bacteria and viri and whatever else. Um, and uh, ta-da, we end up with, I guess in this case, it's a bad anything. you Because it's basically right. just a harbinger of ill will. Bad ball of soil. Bad ball of soil. Bad tomato because it grew up in a microplastic biofilm environment. Now it's sitting there in its core because it just grew with it around it. Bad rabbit that stole the tomato. Plant. There you go. That's that's how it works. So, so I think that it's brilliant that this is actually published in an, in a journal called Pathogens. Um, and uh, I think we're just going to leave that one right there, everybody. You're just going to have to go and read some more about it and come back and talk to us about 
um, this kind of stuff. We, we love talking about this kind of stuff. So, well, just news in general. Um, and your sound is a little off, by the way. So the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel, which is all about business and business transformation. In and out lawyers go animal style on ripoff Mexican burger joint that called itself in and out <laughs> and actually had suspiciously aligned uh, marketing material as well. Um, so this is over in entrepreneur.com. Dan Bova is the author. And it says here that the LA Times reports that a burger joint in Mexico called in in out it's I-N-I-N-O-U-T, has changed its name and flipped its burger flipping style after facing legal actions from In-N-Out. In-N-Out borrowed In-N-Out's recipes <laughs> and used the chain's signature red diner booths and logo design per the report. So don't know, uh, uh, this is a tweet, but anyway, um, and was the original source, uh, it was a Twitter um, link, but we talked about it in the episode earlier. Um, so if you're really curious about the original, uh, hunt back a few episodes and you'll find it. So if you're curious uh, to make an actual run for the border to see how in and out compares, don't bother packing your bags. While in and out would not comment, representatives made it clear that there is ongoing litigation and the Times reports that in and out is no more. It's now called Sophie's Burger and the owners have rebranded their Instagram account. Sophie's did not respond to the Times uh, request for uh, comments and seemed to be charging ahead with business, posting job listings for cooks, servers and other staffers. And while the signage and the look of the joint have changed, the local diners, uh, one important facet remains in place from in it now it's glory days papitas estilo aminal which is animal fries that looks that looks good that if that that's from them look i actually like that those burgers those are smashed patties so smash burgers are awesome you get the the right crisp there um healthy chunks of tomatoes nice onions a little bit of lettuce you can just barely see it hiding down there um this is kind of too much uh, maybe as a dip on the side would have been better but it'd be what it be so if you're interested go on down check it out it might be there depending on the amplitude of that lawsuit <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> if they Plus are the going to go, could be different again. Who knows? And I don't know too many Sophie's Burgers out there that are so globally known that there might be. Never mind. Let's go on to the last article for the night. This one is in the Mobile Channel. A 100-year-old Maui home is still standing after wildfires devastated every other house in the area, and the article asks why. I found it really interesting that there were two things that I think actually saved this house, not one, um, but they are actually kind of mincing back and forth about the rationale for this. But I'm going to jump straight on over to the article because it says it's in the hill, changing America. Um, 
the video that's right here has absolutely nothing to do with the article. It never did. Like I had loaded it up and it was a different video. It had nothing to do with this article. Um, I let it play. It switched over to a completely different article um, and uh, had nothing to do with the article. Anyway, Maui's Lahaina community was devastated by a recent wildfire. Trip Milliken's home on Front Street survived the blaze largely unscathed, although it's surrounded by destruction. Experts have offered up a reason why the house fared better than neighbors' properties, and I think that both of them are right, but only together, because when they talk about it, they say, they got rid of their shingled roof and put a metal roof on and they removed all of the vegetation from around the perimeter of the house and put river rock and look at that oh my goodness the okay, trees burn for the podcast like there's just multiple properties completely devastated and then there's this <laughs> that is a high resolution picture Right, like the the remaining house looks normal. Yeah. Yeah, that is a... And it's even like bright white, I mean, which just really juxtaposes against the... the hey, and uh, guess what? Hard landscape. Fox 8 uses WordPress. Just want to let you know. Anyway, okay. um, yeah. So they talk about all of the rationale for why this house was saved, but I think both of them are the reason. Nothing could stay on the roof for a prolonged period of time to set the roof on fire. And if you have shingles and something hot sticks to that, those shingles, it can eventually melt through because the asphalt is nothing more than petroleum. So at some point it can act as fuel. Um, and then they put river rocks around like 80% of the house. Now I'm surprised the deck didn't catch on fire but maybe they were actually actively preventing that from taking place, or it was a composite material that didn't allow fire to take hold. I don't know about that part, but the trees and the grass surrounding it were devastated, but the house doesn't even look like it was scorched on the sides that you can actually see. Now, here's the thing about this. If the company that uh, put that metal roof on does not advertise if they don't advertise they are complete idiots <laughs> i would put oh, a sign yeah. in front of that house and give 10 percent to the owner and 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 just say this house was saved by that metal roof ask me how but i think both of those reasons the 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 stonework and um, the metal roof. Hey, the river rock company, even though it could be any river rock should do the same. Yeah. Both of them should. Um, the one that stands out though, is definitely the roof. And now I want a metal roof, right? I think hometown. Exactly. I mean, now I'm seeing this. Yeah. I think Mayor, the mayor's mansion needs uh, a metal roof, um, but not every HOA allows it. So good luck y'all. Plus when ice when when hail and big water drops hit that thing it is like a tin drum out there and and hopefully it has a rhythm like jamaica you know something that you can actually dance to um something that you can groove to something that you can sleep to uh, if it's late late yeah, late I was at gonna night say when you're sleeping i'm not sure 
But I've been in properties with metal roofs when it starts hailing and it sounds like somebody is taking a hammer and just banging the hell out of your head. <laughs> so, eh. You got to figure out what you really want. I guess enough insulation might just soften it so it doesn't sound like a completely horrible experience. But um, anyway, that's what the article is all about. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I did not throw. Do, do, do. Yeah, I didn't throw that article into the chat. There you go, folks. You can see that in the VOD and uh, there you go you can go and do that there too and uh, we are done for the night but let's take us all the way back to main street and mash that welcome sign by the way if you come to the chat um, feel free to clip and highlight whatever you can so that um, it stays clips and stuff like that that i highlight allow me to keep the stuff in perpetuity um, but I can't keep full one and a half hour episodes. I can keep, I can break out each one of these things as an individual highlight. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't keep the one and a half hour contiguous episode in perpetuity. But the highlights I can keep. Because, because Twitch doesn't allow you to. Correct. That's the policy. Uh, episodes, yeah. Um, so at any rate, plus the format that they have them in is really big, uncompressed. It's weird. I figured that they would compress this stream when they store it, but they don't. Um, YouTube, on the other hand, scales it back to a really low resolution and then upscales it within the browser. Um, I don't know. But anyway, um, that's it for the night. I think that we're just going to call it and... Uh, Cause there's a lot of news but it's mostly about some current events that we'll talk One about subject <laughs> tomorrow and that's it folks so thank you very much for coming and hanging out for tonight we'll see you tomorrow 9 p.m eastern you're gonna say the same thing aren't you ai well now that you stole my thunder sorry have a good evening hometown citizens true we will see you tomorrow true Uh, bye bye.